Welcome back, everyone. You're watching We Heart Therapy, the special series EFT Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Bell, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT supervisor and therapist here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. And I am super excited to welcome back to our show. We have Jim Thomas. He's one of the founders of a very vibrant EFT center in Colorado, and he's responsible for a lot of amazing uh, developments and trainings in EFT. He was on the AAMFT board. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. He specializes in doing intensives for couples and addiction. And some interesting things that you may not know about Jim Thomas is that he was one of the first and only EFT trainers to present a two-day masterclass showing four different couples in stage one distress and the same four couples in stage two with bonding events, plus a couple doing healing work with one partner's early childhood sexual abuse. So he really was one of the first trainers to really demonstrate these at trainings and videos, which was really awesome. And he's really helped us come a long way. And he's created six other unique trainings in EFT. And of course, Jim, you may not know, introduced Core Skills Plus, and he co-created the first EFT workshops on shame and also about addressing addiction through the attachment lens using EFT, which is super awesome because we all know that we do have clients who suffer from addiction. And currently he's on a mission with colleagues in the addiction field to bring applied attachment theory to residential and wilderness therapy addiction and to trauma programs all across the United States. So he's just really gifted. And I say that he's also an empathy rock star and he's really helped us in our EFT trainings, learn how to human better using the power of empathy with our clients and with each other. So um, we're super excited to have him back on and, and you've probably seen him in a couple of our previous episodes. So um, today we're going to be talking about taking the CBT out of EFT. Yes. (laughs) So thank you again, Jim, for being with us. And when we say we're going to take the CBT out of EFT, you want to share with everyone what we mean by that? Sure. Well, thanks. First, uh, I love the introduction and I've never been a rock star of anything. So if I could be a rock star of empathy, I'll take that. Mm -hmm. I was thinking maybe it's more like a singer songwriter of it of empathy because it's soft you know mm-hmm. rock but I guess you can empathize in a rocking way um and and we did a talk about empathy that's mm-hmm. one of the talks we did and in you I want to just say your book Relentless Empathy is a must read for anybody that any therapist who wants to work in a vulnerable way work with emotions and be empathic um this is like just you should have relentless empathy by Annabelle Bugatti. So get the CBT out of EFT. I'm a pa- I'm passionate about this. So I've been trainer for like 14 years or so, 15 years, supervising, working with people, watching their work. Um, and I think it's tempting to go sort of cognitive behavioral um, when you're trying to do emotionally focused work. So Anna, but I believe it's counterproductive for us. And I think it gets in the way of really powerful emotionally focused work. So put it all in context if you're listening and you're not 
super familiar with emotionally focused therapy. Emotionally focused therapy, mostly uh, gifted to us by Dr. Sue Johnson, is primarily based on a focus on emotions. It's right, right in the name. The primary agent of change and the primary focus of therapy, Sue says, early on in her writings and continues to say to this day, is the emotional experience and emotionality of each partner and a couple or each family member in a family therapy. And if we look at that, CBT, on the other hand, is generally trying to help people identify unwanted thoughts, unwanted automatic thoughts, to identify cognitive distortions and try to replace those distortions with thoughts that are more reasonable, more balanced, more, say, accurate, which is a good and lofty goal. And a wonderful thing to do when you find yourself having, you know, an irrational thought about the world, if you can soothe yourself, calm yourself down and play with that thought, awesome. When I think about working in EFT, then one of the problems with bringing in something like CBT or sometimes the way I see people bring in like Gottman, you know, John Gottman had this brilliant idea. He goes and researches what, what a healthy couples look like and what are couples who report they're in distress and not, you know, functioning well look like. And then he's a researcher. He says, why don't we teach people, you know, how to build a safe house and what healthy couples do or CBT. I'm going to come in to this negative cycle when you two are caught in your negative cycle or this family's caught in a negative cycle. You have these secondary appraisals or negative attributions, cognitive distortions, you throw at each other and let's slow down and we'll challenge those cognitive distortions and teach you communication skills and help you be better with each other. And so we get things like the original behavioral couples therapy or integrative couples behavioral therapy. But these things go against what I believe, I think Sue would agree, is a fundamental belief, stance, tenant, or way of being as an EFT therapist, which is to be with people empathically, with curiosity, which I know is another of your favorite words, um, and, and be in the struggle with people and not teach. It's not primarily a teaching model. It is not directly a skill-based model. We couples through these corrective emotional experiences we call bonding events will surface skills. Mm -hmm. But one of the primary assumptions we make from an attachment basis is that as couples learn to access their deeper emotional experience, make sense of and then through emotional experience from the bottom up, wow, here's how I get pulled into this negative cycle. Here's what I'm learning about myself through my deeper emotional understanding that natural skills, communication skills, and caring skills, and empathy skills surface. So let me jump in with you yeah. too, because so a lot of good things that you're saying. And also another thing that I want to bring in is just how we are wired neurologically as attachment beings. And EFT really honors the way that we are hardwired and helps us roll with that wiring so that you know, we can iron in, you know, again, EFT is a model of behavioral change. It's just the avenue that we take to achieve that is 
different. It's bottom up from the emotional level than from the top down. And there's a reason for this. And emotions get a bad rap in our culture and at least American society. And people say, you know, oh, like emotions are so irrational and I don't want to be emotional. Well, to be emotional is to be human. You, you have emotions and the only way to not be emotional is to be dead literally. So, Mm -hmm. and emotions live in the nervous system and they are wired. It's like a, an alarm system that is wired through the survival part of our brain. And what, what sounds off the alarm is how we make meaning as human beings. And that is always through the lens of attachment and attachment. Isn't just a science of bonding. That's like about a 10th of what it is. Attachment is a science of human behavior, emotion regulation, how we make meaning of the world and our place in it and how our self-esteem develops from cradle to grave and how we do or don't do um, closeness and connection, vulnerability with others and how that impacts us. And so when we interpret So attachment is how we make sense of the world around us and whether we deem other people as safe, trustworthy, or having a hidden agenda or out to get us or not reliable, and whether or not we're generally lovable, wanted, good enough, accepted in the eyes of others. And when we detect that there's a problem there, our brain neurologically sounds an alarm that, and we've done the brain scans to know that this is wired as a danger signal, which activates the nervous system. And the nervous system is where emotions live and emotions are not bad. They are vital pieces of information that give us clues and information about the quality and content of the world around us and our experiences. So they tell us when things are amazing and good, when we feel fulfilled and passionate and successful, which are emotional experiences, but they also tell us when things are not okay and, and how we feel directly impacts our behavior. Even if you're trying not to feel emotion, there is always a behavior attached to it. And the word emotion comes from the Latin word, immovere. And I've heard some other trainers say, oh, to move. It's not just to move. It's to move out. That's what it literally translates to because pain demands to be felt and the body has a direct, has a general direction momentum that it, it needs to complete in those emotions. And so, um, when emotion comes online, again, it's, it's information that we need to know about. Ironically, when the system, when the alarm bells are online, our prefrontal cortex, which is where cognitions come in or cognitive processing, that part of the brain actually shuts down and floods with peptides because right. your body is trying to rally all of its information into surviving and attachment is in the survival part of the brain. It is equal to the same functions in your brain as eat, sleep, safety, um, shelter. So it's not just this luxury that we can choose to live without. And there's a reason why science shows that isolation kills faster than smoking and heart. Right. Right. We're, we're social mammals at root and the yeah. limbic system that you're, we're talking about the emotional, the brain itself is, I think even talking about the emotional brain is a kind of a misnomer. 
more and more brain scientists are saying our brain is, is a big system. Mm-hmm. And I think another thing that happens with what, what you're talking about is, is at the root of, of why I think it's important to clear out sort of things like challenging cognitive distortions and seeking right. behavioral change as the so way. like top down. Yeah. So you're going to hear us say during the course of this, like top down, bottom up. So top down, we mean brain down, which again, sounds great in theory. But again, we know that when that survival system is activated, you know, so if I hand you a list of I do statements for you and your spouse to use during a fight, guess what's going to happen when dis- I'm going to ball up the list and throw it at my exactly, spouse. Exactly. Exactly. So the thing is, when we try to avoid feeling Basically, we avoid leaning in and being curious about ourselves and our experience and what our emotion is trying to tell us. And then we lose connection to the control we have over how it gets expressed. So avoidance is not control. Avoidance is avoidance. Control is control. And to control our behavior, we have to lean in and not avoid. We have to understand because, again, that part of the brain if we try to think our way out of it, neurologically, we're not wired for that. Doesn't mean that we don't work with thoughts or any of that, but we have to enter through the avenue of the emotion because the emotion overrides all other systems in the body because it's in the survival system. And so when we can go in through the attachment channel, the system that overrides everything else and help people learn about themselves and other in that place and befriend this space, then there are more options for better behavior available to their brain when this starts to happen. And we can iron in new behaviors, new ways of being in the most fundamental system of your body that will help translate into long lasting change. That's why we go bottom up, not top down. Right. Correct. So, and I think, you know, you said something important earlier too, And I was thinking about how a lot of therapists, the way CBT can kind of sneak in is that therapists will speak intellectually about emotions. Even our clients will, they'll talk about emotions from an intellectual space rather than feeling their emotions from. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. This is important because I don't, and when I say this, you know, get the CBT out of EFT, it's not to dismiss or diminish the value of good cognitive behavioral therapy work. And there's a lot of good, cognitive behavioral therapy for me in my experience with couples and in life the emotional realm is richer more poignant and generates more intense experiences for the couple and the change like the way you're describing it coming from the inside out from the bottom up those emotions move me not just that my emotions, when the therapist helps me to access them and sit in them, when we are sitting, it's it's really, uh, let me say it this way. Another reason that I'm saying this in a challenging and playful way, let's get the CBT out of our EFT, is it also creates a, a particular kind of stance towards people that um, I'm coming in to help identify these thoughts that you have that are getting in the way and challenge them and help you, you know, find these more accurate thoughts, which may it can be a very useful endeavor. There's t- times it's super useful in my life. Um, what I've learned in my, like my own relationship, when I start having these automatic thoughts that are negative about my relationship, my Patrice about life, they are windows 
and reflections of a deeper holistic experience I'm having as a social mammal, that my central nervous system is an open system, that I have a social brain, if we go to things like social brain theory, that the, the human brain is this large, you know, size to body ratio for social reasons. It's a social organ primarily that so much of our intelligence, our evolution, what did our ancestors have to do? They had to learn to forage. So they had to know the seasons and they had to know place. So they knew where to hunt and gather and they did it together. So the fundamental survival skill was to do it together. And that, so we have social baseline theory that supports all this. If I'm put in an, in an excluded position, in a place where I feel excluded, things like my body temperature, my external body temperature drops, my blood pressure goes up, my heart rate goes up, I produce more cortisol. Put me somewhere where I feel warm, accepted, and belong, and my, my ex peripheral body temperature goes up, my blood pressure lowers, my heart rate relaxes, and I use less energy because I feel safe in the group. I feel safe with other people. I feel safe in these primary bonds. So to come in and explore with people emotionally what's happening, I think is difficult for us as therapists too. We go in in what we call say stage one, uh, what Sue's now calling destabilized, or we used to call you know, de-escalate the negative cycle. What I think of is there's more reactivity than responsiveness. Mm -hmm. That whatever secure bond is being experienced is typically not being experienced in a vulnerable, emotional, raw way. It's being experienced through fun, um, through being close to each other, through things like I cook for you, I care for you in those ways, but I don't know how to drop down into my primary emotional experience and start to make sense of that experience through emotion from the bottom up. So I think that what can happen is we inadvertently, we get distressed. You're listening, right? You're with a couple, there's, there's a lot happening. Maybe there's that kind of demand withdrawal that Gottman's talk about, or Sue calls protest polka and hold me tight, or um, they're escalating up into find the bad guy. They're going at each other. And it's so, we so desperately want to go in and say, stop, stop. Now, a behavioral change would be, can't you see, Annabelle, that when you go after your partner that way and you're upset with them and you're trying to get their attention by going like this, that they shut down. So let's get you to stop that behavior and create safety. In EFT, I go towards you to understand what's going on that gets you in such a place that you cannot help yourself but chase because emotions are compelling. Mm -hmm. and, and it's like you said earlier, it's survival. Yeah. This distance between us is painful, scary, panicky. I don't like it. And I want it to stop. And I go towards the partner and say, help me understand what happens to you when mm -hmm. your partner's coming at you or help me understand your relationships, your relationship to your emotional experience towards people, towards being in connection, being vulnerable, where did you learn to hide? When did you first start shutting these things down? When you get flooded? And I think a thing I love about it is if we do this in this quality way that Sue gifted us and we help people get to bonding events, we see um, behavior changes. Mm -hmm. We see thinking change. We see the relationship to thinking change. My, my, 
scary thoughts, my catastrophic conclusions about you or me or the relationship become an opening where I can slow down and say, what's getting stirred up in me? And like you say sometimes uh, that EFT is a way to learn how to go towards people vulnerably and say, I'm scared right now or I'm hurt right now. And I include being able then emotionally to go and say, I'm in joy right now. Mm -hmm. I feel so close to you right now. I want to remind you how important you are to me. Mm-hmm. So what happens then is if we can take that, that temptation to go in and start requesting behavioral changes or challenging thoughts. Telling them or saying, you know, just change your thought. I mean, if that worked, they could learn everything they needed from a TED talk and a self-help book and they wouldn't be stuck because they're oftentimes at home already trying to tell their partner to change their thoughts and they're finding it's not working or they're saying, despite knowing better, I'm still stuck doing certain behaviors because what you think isn't driving the show, not to say it's not a part of what's happening, but it's not the one that's driving and in command. It's the emotional system. That's why we have to tame the emotional system from within the emotional system. Yeah. That's something I think I coined this phrase like 12 years ago when I said, wow, you know, I really sit in this humanistic way of being with people, this honoring emotional experience, seeing us as, you know, being impacted by larger contexts, by history, all sorts of things that, that EFT is not a correcting model. It's a corrective, you know, it's, we don't come in and correct people and say, why are you doing that? That's bad. Um, we certainly are going to stop violent behavior. We're going to interrupt things that are abusive. I'm not, I'm not saying we're neutral, but in general, when we're in that range of just things that happen between couples that aren't abusive or violent, et cetera, we pause and get curious and that I want to connect with a couple rather than correct a couple. That's fundamental, right? I want to connect with rather than correct. And I think one of the things I've learned from years of doing therapy with couples and now intensives. So I specialize in intensive therapy. I have people come from all around Colorado, the US, Canada. I've had as far as Australia, right? People come to see Jim and they'll talk about very commonly, we were told things. One of one thing is we were taught and educated about why we have such problems, but it didn't solve any of the problems. Like we got analyzed and understand where all this comes from. The second is we were told things to do and told to go home and do them, but they were often things we'd never demonstrated that we could do in front of the therapist or could only do if the therapist sort of just scripted it. And then, and we were also told how our thoughts were getting in the way But when these things didn't result in change, we either felt silly, stupid, or shame, right? Or we bludgeoned, went after our partner for why aren't you taking the wisdom Annabelle or Jim gave us in the last session and using it? And so I suggest if you're an EFT therapist and you want to deepen your work, every time you feel that urge to go in and challenge challenge a distorted thought, you know, challenge a behavior or something instead say coach mode. (laughs) Yeah. Coach, slow down, slow everything down, go to the original meaning of the EFT tango. When Sue first described it in a therapy talk, she said, I slow everything down. And then I frame it, what I would call in a loving way. 
know, frame it in a human understanding, loving way. Of course, I think about like Mr. Rogers would say, of course, you're fighting like this. You're so mad right now because you don't know why your person turned away from you, right? Instead of why are you doing that and stop that. That, or anytime you want to exit into psychoeducation, anytime you want to um, say, do this instead of that, that you stop and look and see what are, what are, what am I exiting from? Mm-hmm. What am I having a hard time tolerating and sitting with? Yeah. And then go to Sue's universal, which Annabelle and I love the second bubble in the move two of the tango originally was relentless empathy relentless empathy, just go towards the couple, the family, or one person and shower them. You know, it's, it's the old James Taylor song. I think about this in session. I'll just be thinking, I'm getting distressed. I'm getting frustrated. And then I hear, shower the people you love with love. Show them the way that you feel. And I stop for a moment. I say, they can't do that, but it's not because they're bad. Right. They can't do that, but it's not because of a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. They can't do that because they, they never experienced it. Or if they did experience it, it wasn't often enough or it went poorly. Mm-hmm. Or they'd used to experience it with each other, but life got in the way and the cycle got stronger than that connection system. Mm-hmm. So maybe what I have to give them what they don't have and just love the dickens out of them in their distress and slow things down, relentless empathy, and start move in that move, start to surface these vulnerable emotions that are really the agent of change in EFT. Mm-hmm. And I think anyone who tells you that they're not, you know, that we have to like, you need to swim in the shallows. You need to stay with their anger until they can organize it. You need to, you know, the, the part of, you know, the step one and three are the emotional steps and two and four, are the cognitive steps. And no, no, it's, all about emotion and relationship and how and the meaning people make of it. Well, and anger is is a part of that emotional system, being able to stay in even the depths of anger, because anger is pain, anger is fear. Yeah, but but I think in, in this work, sorry to interrupt, but in this work, it's really important to differentiate some primary anger, like oh yeah, never again, you had an affair, you violated me. Oh and yeah. The anger that's so common in cycles. Right. I find myself, if I validate anger and go towards it and say, of course, you're angry. It makes sense to me without throwing the partner, you know, under the proverbial therapy bus yeah. um, that, you know, like when you're caught in this way, when you don't know how to speak up or tell them that you're hurting, you get so mad. Can you help me understand mad? But I'm, I'm always, as Sue taught me this, you know, she was incessant about it. Um, you're doing that in order to get towards that underlying sad or hurt. Or I think Jim Furrow taught me when he's mentoring me to be a trainer. Um, we validate secondary t- for the primary purpose of getting to primary. If we sit in anger too much in sessions, then it, it, it contraindicates the creating of safety and a secure base in your sessions. I guess it sort of depends on what you're doing with the anger. And so here's, here's kind of my point with that too, is that it's sort of something you mentioned before where therapists will exit emotion because therapists and in society in general, we've sort of nurtured this in is that we've become low tolerant of 
people's distress and as therapists, I mean, that's what our job is to be able oh, to yeah, I want people to up yeah. their ability to sit in distress. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. emotion tends to get really big and therapists exit because that emotion feels big and scary. And so they get kind of dysregulated themselves and pop out and, and go to psycho ed as a way to try to contain rather than staying yes. in the emotion. I mean, usually when you get yes. into anger and you can sit with them in it and make sense, it's a way to lean in and drop into what the underlying pain is, which helps yes. shift the anger, right? Yes. It's, it's not to heighten it and say, it's okay, you know, to turn and yell at your partner, you know, we don't want to no. do that. But anger is one of those emotions that comes alive in sessions that I find therapists exit out from and uh, hear a lot, not just by non EFT therapists, but people in society at large that, you know, that whole idea about don't be emotional, emotions are bad. Well, emotions aren't bad. What they're usually talking about is the behavior attached to the emotion, which is something different, right? And that's why we want to befriend the emotional space. Well, well, or, or they're talking, they might be talking also about the distressful experience of having these emotions and I can't right. share them in a vulnerable way. Yes. I, mean, yes. I want to be clear because I don't want to, I want to create like a straw yeah. argument. What I'm saying, talking about with the anger is you want to go towards it and lean into it. I certainly don't think you should have people get doing an anger venting um, right. with some rare exceptions. Hitting each like, other with foam bats. We've learned yeah. that does not help. Sometimes people have to say in a powerful way, like never again, can you yeah. cheat on me? What I'm talking, but we lean into anger um, when it's secondary for the purpose of validating, understanding, provide, having empathy for that anger. And what that in, invariably does for the vast majority of humans is if you listen to my anger and you provide a warm space empathy you care about that anger you know you have to meet me there and then come down um i move i'm actually start moving deeper into my primary emotional experience and i can start to talk about that that's yeah, what i mean because not often, sitting in anger for a long time yeah yeah not to keep people alive in anger but again because usually anger is an upregulation from something deeper that's not being heard or understood. And ironically, when we have angry behavior that comes out kind of sideways and wonky, we actually have less of a chance of being heard. So having someone who can sit with them in that anger, really understand that there, there's about a deeper pain here that your anger is fighting to be heard and understood and help them put words to it. You find that it really shifts them. They can take a deep breath you know, and we're able to talk about the deeper pain, which is awesome. But if a therapist can't tolerate working with emotions, right. And they get scared. Cause again, it could be their, their own relationship with emotion. Maybe they grew up in a, in an avoidant household where, you know, maybe there was abuse that happened in anger. Things got scary. No one ever helped them, or they were just taught to shut it down and go away, you know? And again, this is not a bypass for bad behavior. That's not what we're saying either. We are going to, you know, address that and, you know, and, and talk about the things that are not okay. It's in a non-pathological way too. But usually when people say, you know, emotions are bad, like I said, again, it's the behavior that they've seen attached to it. And when we distance ourselves from our emotion, we have less control over the way it gets expressed. And right. we right. talked about before, pain right. demands to be felt, emotion wants to move out. And if we have less control, guess what? Even when we're trying to shut it down, and, you know, if you're a client, because I know a lot of um, 
the general public has found some of these videos or you're a therapist, it's like client may push it down, push it down, but then it comes roaring out of them later. And they end up saying a whole bunch of stuff that they didn't want to say, or they get so furious that they throw something or they punch a wall or those aren't good either. Right. So we can help someone lean in, then they are able to have more opportunities, more options available to the threatened brain when they get into that place that doesn't involve something that is destructive to themselves and others. So that's why working with emotion is so important. I mean, you could tell people, oh, just don't punch a window. Yeah. How's that working? You don't think they don't know that already, but they can't stop, you know, because there it's stuck in the emotional system and we've got to dive into that emotional. Well, I remember system. when I, a young teenager told me years ago, you don't understand that sad is dangerous for me. Um, if I'm mad and I punch this window out, it won't hurt when I do it. But if I was crying and I punched this window out, I'd feel the pain. Right? Mm. And so then to how do we create so, so if I go back to this topic of CBT and Gottmanizing, I call it like when we psychoeducate too much um, um, or we diagnose another is we diagnose, you know, oh, this partner's got blank and this partner's got blank. I'm a big believer whenever possible, take away diagnoses. Um, don't live in the DSM world with your couples. If somebody's just got something and it has to be attended to, the symptoms will come up enough times and then you can say, you seem like you have bipolar disorder, perhaps, and then we can look at that. But I think um, if, if you look at your caseload and most of your couples have a DSM diagnosis, not because insurance required it, but that's how you see them. I try to take that lens off, take the lens off of I'm going to teach you how to be a healthier couple and then take move away from challenging cognitive thoughts and see those as part of the emotional experience that that are also openings into primary experience, validate secondary to get to primary. And I think a, a, a last thought I'd have about this, there's a phrase that um, CBT or taught me once that I, I think it's a great phrase, or they said the three C's, you catch it, you check it and you change it. Mm. I saw an EFT, notice it, experience it, like go inside, lean in and linger, as I often say, lean in and linger, and then see if you can share it. And if it's too scary to share it, maybe you could share that. It's too mm -hmm. scary to share it. That EFT is not a, a functional analysis of behavior problems. We're not doing pro-social activity sampling um, or kind of monitoring and restructuring. We're not doing emotional regulation training. People are learning to co-regulate their emotions through stage two and then going into stage three with, we now co-regulate. Patrice and I co-regulate each other much more than we used to dysregulate each other. That's mm -hmm. the fundamental change. And what the scientists are telling us, she's a hidden regulator of my emotional state, whether she's present or not. She's here right now in the room, you know, and I feel her. This couple I worked with just recently said, we want you to, to tell you that we feel Patrice in the room and we know you wouldn't be doing this in the way you do it if she wasn't inside there helping you. Yeah, it's a beautiful observation. And it's not at root of communication training. Instead, what happens is we surface existing communication skills that are part of being a human that cares, mm -hmm. that cares like homo veniculum, the one that feels with and cares. 
emotional regulation comes from the closer emotional sharing and vulnerability and strengthening the bond, the, the, the restructuring, that narrative starts to change as we feel better about each other and our family or our, our relationship. Yeah. Um, and a lot of, I mean, a lot of these things that you're saying happen as like a side effect of what we do. Yeah, exactly. We don't go through the front door and say, okay, today we're going to work on communication skills you know, but what happens is when we lean into emotion, we help people understand it and share it, what's true and real for them in a different way. They are learning communication skills, but from the system, from within the system, that's going to lead to the most lasting change. And, you know, what we find again, what the science tells us is that we are wired for co-regulation and, and, Self-regulation is directly a function out of the kind of co-regulation we had as a kid. If we had effective co-regulation from a secure attachment figure, we are more likely to be able to self-soothe in a productive way because we're also able to co-regulate. It goes back to that basic attachment science of, you know, our our earliest relationships build a foundation for how we feel about ourselves and others. And we have that working model of right. our caregiver in our head. And if that was a bad model, you know, then we know people without secure attachment dysregulate and struggle to regulate, but you can self-soothe, you can co-regulate by yourself, you know, self-soothe, but as a form of co-regulation, because we know emotional connection can transcend geographic proximity. So if my partner's away on a business trip and I have a stressful day and they're not available to talk about, I can still imagine them and their voice and the things they might say to me in that distress and still feel that sense of soothing and regulation. And, you know, I have first responders who have horrible scenes that they see at work every day. And I've asked them, well, how do you kind of decompress after a long day when you've got to go back to the firehouse or, you know, you're pulling overnight duty. And, you know, I'll never forget one of my first line responders said, I think about my wife and holding my baby. And that helps me come back down to earth. And that's an example of co-regulation, but also self-soothing simultaneously. Right. And when they're in the presence of their loved one, they don't avoid going to them and regulating with them. And the two feed into each other so that there's that healthy interdependency and that healthy connection. And, you know, as we know from attachment, healthy interdependence leads to healthy independence, not avoidance. I think society tries to teach us avoidance under the guise of independence and it's actually avoidance. So well, now we're, we're getting into a very deep conversation. We start talking about that, about the individualistic nature of our society and our mm-hmm. tension between this emotional dependence is which, mm-hmm. what attachment theory indicates. We don't, we don't go from dependent to interdependent or independent to interdependent emotionally. We're dependent on these social relationships, core bonds, mm-hmm. friendships, community. But when those are wonky, then we struggle with that. Then we struggle, but we also struggle in a society that says we shouldn't struggle. We right. in a society that says so the lone wolf is um, admirable. That the that being able to do these things on your own, the, the Richard Kipling like if poem, you know, and um, and so I think of that that at the core, I'm suggesting that the things that 
we might be using in like an individual therapy or trying to help someone with depression or anxiety. So you're focused on like the thoughts and behaviors and creating behavior change and, and helping them, you know, get better, more flexible, useful thoughts become an EFT, a part of the emotional dance, the reactive emotional dance that happens between a couple and that those behaviors and those thoughts are part of a relational emotional experience. And they primarily are openings. They're places to see where there's rigidity or reactivity, where there's rigidity or reactivity, right? There's, there's something underneath that we want to surface. And that those things for, for me, if I'm being rigid or rigid or reactive, come towards me to find out and make it safe for me, show interest in me, make room for that. And then I might open up and start letting you know underneath what's scary or painful or sad. And then for the partner, what is that rigidity or shutdown or, you know, or reactivity do to you? Same process. And that what can happen is we get triggered by the rigidity or reactivity of the couple and we need exits. And these other models, unfortunately, some of the exits they offer us are not friendly to creating a vulnerable, safe, secure base for the couple. So we are going to. I have a kitty that's in distress wandering around the room while we're talking about this. Oh, okay. I thought, so I like keep working that. and I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, you can tell the cat. We're almost done. Jim's uh, <laughs> wrapping up and you'll get pet in just a moment and get yeah. your kibbles. Or, yeah. um, so I think what, what happens when, when we sit in that is we have distress. So we have to go get support for like, and find out from other therapists that like EFT or these vulnerable approaches. How do you sit in that distress? How do you stay what, in struggle with a couple without trying to fix it, right? Well, what comes up in my mind, what I hear right in this place, as you're saying this, that I hear from a lot of therapists is that their fear is that if I sit in it, it's going to get worse or like right. I'm going to cause them pain. And I'm like, they're already in pain. Yeah. They need somebody to see it. And that's our job. I'll, I'll never forget this. I recently heard some therapists on Facebook, non-EFT therapists, I don't know, this new language is about vibrations, vibrational energy. And I hear them saying, oh, I won't accept clients below a certain vibration anymore. And I'm like, so you're saying you're not really doing therapy because we're supposed to deal with people in their biggest places of distress, <laughs> you know? And if we struggle to tolerate distress, how can we help? That's not a client block. That's an us block. Right. I think it's part of maybe um, that couples come see me and other therapists refer. I get a lot of referrals from EFT therapists. They'll say, go see Jim and then you'll, you'll make some progress and movement and come back. Or I don't know how to help you, you know, try to go see this person um, that when people call, I'm not. The, the level of reactivity and intense and distress is not what I'm assessing in terms of would this be a good idea to come see me? I'm really assessing willingness. If you're willing to come give this a try and there's not clear signs of danger to, to each other or, or to yourself, um, come see me. And the number of couples who've come to see me that were you know, I think I'm done, you know, we were separated, I can't do it, that's a second affair, and who come out 
stronger together from this bottom-up work, this slowing things down and getting curious and doing the relentless empathy, right? So we go, a loving view, frame things in a way that's not pejorative, relentless empathy, access underlying experience, share it. What's that like? And go back into that experience, share it, go back into that experience, share it, go back into that experience, share it. And then, then ask the partner when there's some real vulnerability up, what's this like to hear something different, to have them turn to you in this different way to play different music, right? And then tie a bow. Mm-hmm. Not, let's try to, or, you know, cognitively make sense of what's going on, get a, right. A, and that's where a lot of um, therapists get stuck to is they'll say, oh, my couples understand the cycle, but it's not changing. And, and what, when I watch their tapes, what I see is that the couple intellectually understands their cycle, but there's not enough emotional experiencing in session where we're working on the emotional level of what's happening in the cycle. It's not enough to just intellectually understand it. It's when I go into the, the deepest Um, emotional space that happens within the cycle. Can I learn how to share my heart? I mean, EFT is a, is a roadmap for how to communicate in distress and we have to be able to hold that distress and tolerate it. And we're really expanding our clients window of tolerance too to not only tolerate their own distress, but their partners so they can lean in, be curious, be responsive with love and care, be able to accept that love and care which helps neutralize the threat of disconnection and then all systems turn back online and the couple is able to problem solve. It's just the order of operations, the way our brain is wired. Like couples try to problem solve before they resolve the issue of connection. They realize our neurology doesn't wire us that way. We have to resolve the threat of disconnection so that the the danger signal turns off. I kind of think of like corny, like um, Star Trek um, episodes where they're on the Enterprise and you see that. Yeah. And lights turn off and like they, they talk about how systems are shutting down and it just goes to the key survival systems that the ship needs to stay afloat. And that's basically what happens. And so we want to work from within that system when we can quell the danger, then, oh, guess what? That alarm turns off. All the lights turn back on. And now we have access to other functions. Well, we can wrap it up. This part is so like core to this approach and how I'm, I'm seeking to be with people that I'm wanting each partner to experience me as a safe base where they can open up to me. They can start to make sense of what they do in that cycle at a deep, at all levels. San Diego Center used to say, and you're exploring this cycle at all levels. I really like that. And then turn in these powerful beginning to change events that start to happen later in stage one is that I can turn and say, you know, when I look so aloof on the outside, I'm actually in the, in this pile of crap and my stomach hurts and I just feel so smaller when I get mad and I start listing the nine ways you've disappointed me, it's actually a panic because I can't feel you. I don't know where you are. And, and, and that's important for me to make sense of that. It does not so that they stop taking each other's behaviors personally they're going to get triggered by each other probably for the rest of their time together on this plane, on this material world, in this life. 
It's that the partner can say, here's what's happening to me when I'm doing this, or here's what happens to me when you do that to me from a vulnerable place. I'm never going to stop taking Patrice personally because Patrice is my person mm-hmm. and I'm her person. It's what do we do when that goes sideways and one of us isn't feeling as safe. Exactly. So well said. So it's really, you know, again, how to help us as therapists pivot, you know, and into the emotional realm and work on that level and not just kind of intellectually try to coach clients into different behaviors or why their thinking is unrational, irrational, because they're already telling each other, you need to stop doing that. Your thoughts are ridiculous. And guess what? It's not working. All their partner feels is invalidated and dismissed and shut down. And, you know, honestly, there's a reason why people think and feel what they think and feel. Let me give a shout shout out because it fits something you said to Gottman and a, a phrase they use, you know, in that research, you said, you know, so many times we'll exit and go away from strong emotion. And there's that, you know, that powerful stuff where they show the love lab and one of the partners says, Oh, look, sailing ships and then they, and then one partner gets up and goes towards the other partner doesn't say anything. And the third partner says, leave me alone. I'm reading that when, when our couple's hearts start to emerge or they, they're either flooded by sadness or pain or fear, or they're using anger and frustration or numbness to try to cope that we turn towards them. And when they, when that partner says, I have nothing, Annabelle, I'm shut down. I don't feel things. I haven't felt things for years. We get up off the couch and we stand and we look out their window. We don't expect their partner to that comes later. And and the same with something like anger, the same with something like panic you know, what do you see out the window? I see they've left me when we, they, they're so shut down. We go stand by the window and say, help me understand that. We don't expect the partner to do that. Stage one, that mm-hmm. comes in stage two. Yeah. And it's hard to sit in that distress. It's hard when you just want to, you know, that part of me that wants to, can't you see? Yeah. If you just would do this, it would help your partner. So if my partner much. would just stop protecting themselves. I'm talking about myself as a therapist. Yeah. I'm talking about me as a therapist. I have that part well, of me. We do that like, too. Yeah, I wish. Stop. Stop it. What's keeping me? Mm-hmm. I think you said you, you did a nice quote. It made me think of the roomie said in 700 AD about the goal isn't to get more love. The goal is to remove all obstacles we have to loving. And I think EFT is a journey of removing, you know, Mnuchin said years ago in family therapy techniques, I'm trying, he says, try to have a bigger and bigger family heart. And he said, and what that means is you can welcome and embrace more and more families into your heart instead of pathologizing them. Yeah. They're and this, just humans. this is a good thing too, is, you know, along this continuum of helping ourselves and our clients and just humans in general better tolerate distress is because a lot of the caring and the love happens in distress. And we have to, yeah. remove, when people can tolerate distress, they remove obstacles to loving because oftentimes, you know, we might be in a place in our life where we're going through a, we have a stressor in our life that can't be immediately removed. It's something that has to play out. But if I can, my partner can tolerate my distress because a lot of times a others may feel like, oh, well, if I try to 
put my arm around you and comfort you. And you're not immediately all better as if the hug is like magic beans or something, then somehow your lack of immediately feeling better is my failure. And it's not working rather than recognizing, you know, you're really seeing them, you're, you're validating their experience. You're comforting them. Doesn't mean that it's not doing anything good. Some of these things just have to play out. And that person, when we can also accept love in that place, I have a lot of clients that haven't experienced secure connection. So they don't know what it looks like. So when they have distress, you know, they avoid telling their partner and allowing their partner to care for them. They're like, well, I don't want my partner to feel bad because I'm feeling bad. It's like, but your partner feels bad because they care. That's what's supposed to happen in a functioning right. system. Right. Yes. So they can, yes, they can move you. towards you with empathy and love. And yeah. these, these are good things. And that's we want that to happen. So again, being able to tolerate that distress that my partner feeling bad isn't a sign of like things going wrong or things being bad. A lot of times it's a sign of care and love and empathy. So we want to be able to receive those things. And that can help us feel better. Like our our partners, our friends, our loved one, whoever it is, may not be able to even remove the stressor in our life. But as you talked about earlier with the social baseline theory, is we know that secure connection can help our body fundamentally change the way that it experiences a stressor. So we stop bearing such a metabolic load on our system alone. We have, we, then we're able to reserve some of our own energy and conserve it. And then we have more energy in our tank to go out and fight another day to or do to it play or to laugh or to create. Yes. It's, it's a, you know, you're making a great scientific case, right. For distress is part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. Distress in isolation is not good for the human in general. I think it's Ted Lasso. If, if any of y'all are Ted Lasso fans, there's an episode. It's really amazing. And I swear, like he's an EFT. He's like a coach, a sports coach who must have taken EFT training because he's in the locker room with his fellows who lost a big game. And he's telling them, he's like, this is a sad moment. And, you know, that's just the fact of it. And he said, but look around, you have, you know, this whole team of people who are going with going through it with you. The only thing worse than being sad is being sad alone. So right. it was just amazing. And right. you know, it was pretty awesome. And, then, and so well, two things, I have a, a final thought about that and about distress, maybe to bind us as therapists, but I do want to be clear. Sometimes when we get towards the end of these discussions, I think I hope I don't want to leave something out that's essential. I think there's a thing called therapeutic leadership. And in the process of a therapy session, we are slowing things down and we're not, as couples therapists, I just think in general, it's not a good idea to let couples just talk at each other, to vent at each other, to complain. Um, it's not chaos. We, we slow things down as EFT therapists and create that safety to, to, that in this room, you know, Jim or Annabelle are not gonna let us just explode and yell at each other, et cetera. Um, and look, guys, if you're waiting for safety to happen to do therapy, you will never do therapy. <laughs> so for couples, yeah, if you go to an EFT therapist, they're going to slow things down. They, they want to know these negative places you go, the cycles you get, patterns you get caught up in, the disturbing thoughts you have that are fearful or hurtful about yourself, your partner. Um, 
the behaviors that you do that you don't like, you wish you didn't do, or your partner does that you don't like, they're going to assess for safety. Um, but the difference is if they're doing good EFT, they're not correcting you and mm -hmm. primarily teaching you, there'll be some teaching and they're not challenging your distortions and they're not, not saying judging. to you, can't you see that if you stop doing this, it would be better for your partner unless it's a safety issue in general. Yeah. The other is you're talking about distress and I really more and more, I've seen so many couples and families now that, and these patterns are so universal that it keeps occurring to me. These are human adaptive responses to things or else they wouldn't keep happening. Um, and like you said, it, it's very common that anger is an emotion of invalidation or pain and or, or fear or loneliness that I can't express or a reaction to shame. You know, my shame turns into blame. Um, it's often like addiction or substance abuse, drinking, drinking too much, you know, getting high, doing a bong at the end of the night is a way to get away from the distress temporarily. Binge watching, streaming, being on your phone all day. There's so many ways, you know, that we avoid the vulnerability, the stress, mm -hmm. but then also the joys and the awe that we can experience as humans. Mm -hmm. So if we know fundamentally, everyone listening, we know that the human will experience distress, dysregulation, frustration, trouble, that being alive is, is heavy work, that we need to do it together. We're better when we do it together. But as Sue says, we're kind of like porcupines trying to cuddle at night and we can expect distress, that this couple is in distress. And we want them, if you're saying, the way you're saying, I don't think of it in these terms, but I think it's useful, you know, that they're learning to tolerate their partner's distress in a different way due to us more secure. And their own. In a more secure bond. I think it's more like I am learning that I can share my distress when I need to. And because I can share my distress, I have my little board of connectors. I don't call my board of directors anymore. My wife's number one. She's chair of the board. Oh. I have like Russ. If I have training shame come up, I can call Russ and Russ and, and Russ will bring me back to a place of love. Mm -hmm. And so there's times when I have training shame come up, I don't have to call Russ because I know I can call Russ and I have Russ inside me and his voice inside me. I, I'm not really self-soothing. I'm accessing Russ and Russ is soothing me in absentia, right? But maybe we could bind ourselves as therapists that if we want couples to be able to be together, even in dysregulation and distress and learn how to connect with each other, that we should seek to be able to tolerate more distress and find people to share that with so we can show up more fully than our couples can tolerate, that we're always just trying to get a step ahead of them, and that the most difficult couples are gifts to us. Yes. This being human is a guest house, Rumi said, you know, so we could paraphrase that. What couple will come in my door or family and rock my world and shake my confidence? And how can I get support, personal support and professional support to be there more lovingly with them, slow things down and help them learn how to communicate vulnerably um, rather than trying to get them out of distress in stage one. Like um, try to talk them out of it in some way. We become co-regulators of each partner or family member in stage one. And that's a lot to carry. Mm -hmm. They're not there to regulate us. Yes. They're not there to please us. They're not there to make us happy. Yeah. 
that's my closing thought. Yeah. And I, I want to um, just quickly clarify something too. When I say helping clients tolerate their own distress, it's, you know, when people can't tolerate their own distress, they move away from it. So they're not able to lean in and be curious and find out what their distress is saying and what they need and be able to reach and ask for it. And that's when they may push it down, uh, reach for addiction, you know, turn away, you know, to their phone, get lost in a scroll hole, you know, all, all kinds of things when they struggle to tolerate their own distress and accept it that, Hey, I, I am going through something, but it doesn't mean I have to stay here. We don't want people to set up camp and live in it forever. You know, and there's a reason why they do get stuck, but we want to go into it. We want to help them to be able to go into it. So they can tolerate it, understand it, know what they need and reach and receive in that place. Call and respond, reach and receive. Let's be in this together. Yeah, I like that. It's I like that. life. <laughs> so awesome. So if you are a therapist who is just working, you know, learning EFT and you really want to up your game and level up. You know, you can get my book. It's available on Amazon, Relentless Empathy with Challenging and Difficult Clients. Um, it will really, it's a basically a whole self of the therapist book with some reflections at the end of some uh, questions for you to reflect on at the end that will help expand your window of tolerance for sitting in emotion and um, more difficult um, presenting issues and um, help remove your blocks to um experiencing emotion and just helping us dive deeper so that, you know, cause we're in this field because we have a heart for helping others. And so it's going to help you achieve your best self in the therapy room where you want to be and with other humans, not just for the people in your office, but for all the humans around you. So, um, yeah, it's, we, it's not that we leave thoughts out. It's that we just don't go through the doorway of thoughts as the agent of change, because we know it's not powerful enough to create the behavioral change that we know will be lasting. So we go through emotions and attachment as a vehicle to change the system. So that's why we got to work there. And it's not, I, for, I, I, I forgot. Thank you. It reminded me, I forgot my playful acronym to, to tweak, so avoid says CBT as don't correct. Find the blocks you have for being with and and um, being more loving and accepting and understanding, and allow yourself to be touched by the struggle that this couple is in. Um, and that book is a great resource for that um so if you haven't read it it's a highly recommend thank you thanks for the talk yeah level up your your eft ninja skills as i say you know when you can really dive into emotion and and be able to be in there there's so much information contained in emotion about somebody's experience and their fear and what they need and and what their body says about what they need to do to protect themselves or to feel better. And so we really rob ourselves and others of such valuable information and um, bonding experiences when we avoid going into the emotions. So um, maybe through this talk, hopefully you just sort of um, think about what some of your blocks might be 
um, or your challenges around sitting with emotion when emotion gets big and really reactive and kind of what your cycle is between you and the model when big emotion comes online? Do you kind of lean out and go back and rely on like kind of the old CBT? Let me just sort of coach them or tell them what to do. Or, you know, can I be curious and help myself lean and stay um, so we can work on that level? So I appreciate all the EFT ninjas out there um, attending the We Heart Therapy podcast school in Ninja. (laughs) That's the core move. Yeah, right. To be those um, EFT ninjas. And I, you know why I call it kind of like being a ninja is because sometimes when I'm in session with a client and I feel like I'm throwing healing stars at them and I just see them like Kung Fu block, all of my like ninja stars, my healing stars. I'm like, dang, this is like some ninja moves. So they gotta be a real ninja to break through their blocks. Like, you know, I think of Kung Fu and those, you know, so I know I'm really nerdy, but. That's, that's I like it. It's so like you- jujitsu, you know, you use the energy. It comes yeah. towards you, right? And lean into it. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So um, you can go to, so I, I am the leader of the Southern Nevada EFT community. If you're interested in coming to attend one of our master classes, snveft.com. We've had Jim Thomas out to do a training on addiction, and I'm sure we will have him back to do a training on shame. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't want to come to Vegas, but please do, cause we would love to see you, you know, you can, um, contact Jim and ask him to come to your area. You can look at ICEF or social media for a list of, cause not all master classes and workshops are totally listed on ICEF, but the majority of them are, but there are some posted on social media. But, um, also if, if you want to have Jim come to your area and do a training, don't be shy. I know he would feel honored and, you know, his trainings are really awesome. And like I said, he is a master of empathy and he does Mr. Rogers really well. <laughs> so it's just, thank, it's really thank cool. you for saying so. It's very kind. <laughs> it's so true. So, and if you're a couple who's watching this, cause I've, I've definitely had a lot of people see my videos and they've contacted me and they said, you know, I've, I've listened to what you say to therapists, and I think EFT is for us. We want an EFT therapist, which is so awesome. So um, I do intensives. Jim Thomas does intensives and he specializes in addiction. So if you're a couple that's struggling or you're a therapist that has couples that just seem to be struggling and you want to get some traction, you know, have them attend an intensive, um, which is like two to three days. It's like three months of therapy crammed into two to three days of intensive all day therapy. So it's, it's really awesome. So Jim, you want to tell everyone your website and how they can sure. reach you? For, um, www.jimthomas.care. I love that dot care. Jimthomas.com has been for sale for like $10,000 forever. So I found dot care. Oh. Jimthomas.care. So I care. Easy to remember. Um, on all sorts of couples in distress, come see me. Um, so, so appreciate referrals. And I'm, I am doing a workshop on shame in October. I believe it's the 12th and 13th in Chicago live. Um, so if you want to come connect and, and dive into, I think shame is a hidden barrier often. Uh, and, if we're, and, and if you can work with shame and surface it in stage one and start working with it, and then you can transform and do a lot of healing in stage two. That's really powerful. And yeah, it'd be lovely to come back to Vegas and um, 
you guys were so welcoming when we did the addiction workshop right as the COVID pandemic was. I know literally the second day of our workshop was the day that everything started closing down. (laughs) Yes. I flew home on a plane with 10 other people. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty exciting. So, but definitely. So they, can they email you through your website? Yes. Yes. And then um, Institute for change 981. uh, So the Institute for change spelled a spelled out 981 at gmail.com. Okay. Perfect. Reach me. Perfect. Good. Uh, thank yeah. you to everyone that's out there that's trying to do vulnerable, emotionally present, emotionally engaged, caring and loving work with couples and families in distress. You're a gift. Yeah. Don't be so hard on yourself that you're showing up with your heart. Mm-hmm. I love this is we love we heart therapy, this this podcast. You're showing up with your heart mm-hmm. and you're 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 engaged in deliberate practice and you're you're giving this couple your best. It means more to them than you realize, I promise. And your heart is your best asset. So make sure that you use it. (laughs) So thanks again, Jim, for for being on our show. And you guys maybe check out the, well, not maybe, definitely do go back through my We Heart Therapy uh, channel on YouTube. It's also available wherever you listen to podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And uh, Jim Thomas and I have a couple previous episodes throughout the playlist. So make sure you check out some of those and I'm sure we'll have more available in the future. And Hey, weheartherapy.com is uh, I'm now officially doing some of my own conferences and retreats under the We Heart Therapy banner. And I'm doing a summer camp for adult therapists. Um, so, I mean, not that therapists can be children, but <laughs> I'm doing an adult summer camp for therapists. Um, so if you're interested in participating in that, just check it out at wehearttherapy.com. And, uh, otherwise I just want to say thank you again to all of our wonderful EFT therapy ninjas out there and not just in the United States, but also abroad. I've gotten some wonderful feedback from our therapists in the UK and Budapest. I mean, just thank you guys so much for uh, watching the videos and, uh, and even Australia and, uh, giving me some wonderful feedback and encouragement and uh, letting me know that you find these videos helpful. I'm just so appreciative for all of you. And I'm so glad that uh, we could be together from through this podcast, through the corners of the world. So I hope to connect with you guys again. The ISAF summit is coming up in 2024 in uh, Amsterdam. So uh, make sure you all uh, stay tuned for information on that too, because I will be there and it will be a pleasure to connect with all of you guys. So, um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much. Make sure you check out my book on Amazon. Make sure that you get in touch with Jim Thomas, have him come out to your area and best of all, make sure that you hit subscribe because more videos are on the way. Don't forget to buy my book using relentless empathy in the therapeutic relationship, connecting with challenging and resistant clients for helping professionals, available on Amazon or on my website, www.drbugatti.com.